Welcome, welcome all to the Pro Football Radio Podcast. This is your co-host, Jay Chima, with the pride and joy of Merrimack, New Hampshire. One, Tapuma. Love it. I love, I love that intro, Jay. Love it. I, I, I said it last week, but I, I'm really a fan of the deep build-up and then the high-pitched Tapuma. So I, it, it made my day today, Jay. Well, listen, like, I would usually go with a Tapuma, like, if you were, like, a very tough, like, the rock kind of figure. Okay. Uh, but who you are right now, I mean, you're just like a Carol Baskins-like bitch, so I'm just going to be like, Tapuma. Oh, okay. It's... I'm glad I know my role in the pecking order. Thanks. Thanks, Jay. My man, Appreciate my it. man. My man, how are you? Week three has concluded. We are starting to get more information about how the league is going to shake down as the days go on. I have a good understanding of what I'm looking at. How about on your end, sir? Dude, it's been it's been a hectic it's been a hectic uh, a hectic week and a hectic couple of weeks. I mean, you know, we we. We had the Falcons get a Falcon, and I'm going to get into that with my storyline. Did you, did you know something called hashtag falconing is a real thing now? I'm not surprised. It, you know what? It's I, I'm going to get to, I'm, I'm going to save it for I'm going to save it for my takeaway. Okay. But um, I'm I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that's a, a trending thing on Twitter. But uh, no, I mean a great couple of games. Chicago is is going to Chicago, and they went to St. Nick and. You know, on paper, last night was supposed to be this battle of the, you know, clash of the titans between Mahomes and, and Lamar Jackson. It, it, it ended in a blowout. And if it wasn't for a kickoff return from uh, Duvernay, that, that scoreboard could have been a lot worse. Like, it went from, mm-hmm. like, it, it could have been a massive blowout compared to a, a slight one, let's just yeah. say. Yeah, and we'll touch on that here shortly, Um, but before we get into all of this, as always, let's give you guys a quick rundown of the content of Podcast 61. We're going to start it off with a couple of storylines we uh, curated for you guys from uh, the week three um, slate of games. Uh, I'm going to be providing you a storyline number one, which is the best team in the NFL, or essentially the best 3-0 team, and the worst 0-3 team. So we'll get into that. And then the Puma is going to give you guys two storylines as well. And will that be good, sir? That will be... I buried the Falcons last week, and I'm going to double down on them this week. It's going to just be the, the ineptitude of the uh, the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm just going to talk about how bad the NFC East is as a whole because, mm-hmm. my God, mm-hmm. like that is hands down the worst division in the entire NFL. Uh, but, but real quick, Jay, before we get to your storylines, there was a developing story earlier today between the Tennessee Titans and the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, there was, I believe, eight staff, uh, mostly coaching, and and I I believe maybe a couple of players or two for the Tennessee Titans that tested positive for COVID. And then I believe there was a couple of positive tests as well for the Minnesota Vikings. And as of recording right now on the 29th at 7.20 in the evening, the Titans will not be in their facility until Saturday at the earliest, according to reporting from ESPN. And the Vikings may be able to go back into their facility within the next 24, but it seems more likely 48 hours. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because it could have a lot of scheduling implications for the four teams involved because the Titans are facing, um, I believe, the Steelers, and then the Texans are facing the Minnesota Vikings. So... Some so, are in so, the conference, some of them are not. 
So first, first things first, let's uh, preface it by saying between now and Sunday, it's a long time. And and the one thing that we need to realize in COVID times is day by day, you get more information, day by day, technology advances. So I'm not ready to just kind of call off the game just yet. Uh, I I know that was one of my biggest issues with the Big Ten was that they prematurely canceled the season when they had such abundance of time and how quickly everything changes. Now, secondly... This was going to happen. I mean, simply put, you couldn't go throughout the whole season without having one or two or three games being missed because of COVID. It's just going to happen. You're not in a bubble environment like the NBA or the NHL, and you are going to see flare-ups. Now, the key here is, and this is where I think the NFL is going to separate itself, it's about preparation over panic. Uh, I've had this massive issue with how people will just randomly throw up their hands, you know, at the first sign of trouble. They wanted the MLB season to essentially end when there was, you know, a couple of teams that had quite a bit of an outbreak. But from what everything that we can see, after they squashed that little little flare up, the MLB season continued on without any issues. So I think the NFL is going to step in. They're going to play it by the book. They have a game plan. There's going to be a lot of preparation, a lot of their, you know, rules and uh, uh, and uh, you know protocols that we put into play here, and I think they'll come out with some sort of solution, whether that's either playing the game, whether that's rescheduling, whatever they need to do to make the season go forward, they'll have they'll they'll end up doing that. Yeah, for sure. I think really at, at this point, if anything is on the table, I mean, I know it's going to be hard for teams to like you know, especially the Titans, you know, not really be able to go to the facility until Saturday. It's just going to be a glorified walkthrough, if anything. But I think really the only option, if it gets, if there's more information that comes out from the test results and, and whatnot, you know, rescheduling would be within the cards. I, I thought I saw a report that one of these two games could possibly be moved to Monday night, uh, and they'll just kind of adjust the schedule uh, as they go. Uh, but based on what the NFLPA and the owners came to an agreement with the protocols, it seems you know pretty above board. It's really not. There's not a whole lot of gray area compared to the you know MLB, where they're really just concerned about how can they get the most you know, amount of dollars out of a truncated season, and they never really cross the uh, the uh, the COVID protocol bridge. But from what I'm seeing here, it seems like everything's well within hand, and you know it'll just be a, a, an interesting you know next couple of a uh, couple of days until we figure out who who tested positive, who you know how's this going to shake out the schedule, but. I kind of would like to see how they're going to shuffle the schedule if need be, because there's a lot of moving pieces, especially for the the Texans and Vikings who aren't in the same conference. So that would definitely be something interesting to see. Yeah, and listen, I mean, at the end of the day, the NFL, I, I, I do believe, has some leeway built into their schedule. I know on when the schedule came out, they they made a big fuss about this is the schedule. But listen, when it's a, a $10 billion a year industry, they're going to essentially go through every scenario, have a backup plan. And I am more than confident in Roger Goodell um, essentially coming through with flying colors, man. At the end of the day, I made this statement a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. I do believe our commissioners, whether it's NBA, MLB, NFL, have provided supreme leadership during this time, probably more than most of our politicians have. And I have full faith in these guys and coming uh, coming through in the clutch. Oh, sure. Uh, on that note, get to your first storyline, good sir. 
Yeah, let me before we get to that, let me just give the run, uh, the listeners a quick rundown of what the rest of the podcast is going to entail because we do have a special guest coming on today. After we get through our storylines from week three, we're going to bring on uh, our good friend Josh McNutt from uh, The Shire. He's going to be talking about essentially what his thoughts are on his beloved New Orleans Saints uh, and essentially if he's off a Drew, uh, Drew Brees wagon. He'll stick around and we'll actually go ahead and preview some of the marquee games uh, in week four. So with that being said, you ready to hit this? bro let's do it storyline number one the best 3-0 team that i have seen so far in the nfl right um so there are a few teams left that are undefeated and i'll start with the buffalo bills being undefeated the chicago bears being undefeated uh green Bay packers are still 3-0 the pittsburgh Steelers are 3-0 the seattle seahawks are 3-0 now Immediately when I was thinking about this topic, I had to um, disqualify both the Chicago Bears and the Pittsburgh Steelers because I don't know if they are really good teams just yet. And it's interesting. We all, we all know the Chicago Bears. They might be fraudulent. I mean, I think I don't have to go deep into that discussion. But right. I think the well, – well, they are. They are, right? But the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers are interesting because I didn't realize the people they beat have a combined record of 0-9. Did you know that, Brandon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you have a record of 0 and 9 and you're 3 and 0, like I, I don't want to go and give you the uh, you know the love and the adulation just yet. So I'm gonna reserve judgment on those guys. Uh, but when you will it really when you win it all down, I, I was really looking at four teams for being the best team and the Buffalo Bills, the Green Bay Packers, Seattle Seahawks, and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think last night when I was thinking about this about the podcast and I was thinking about essentially who I'm gonna pick for this uh, for this uh, best team in the NFL superlative. I thought I was going to lean toward the Seahawks or the Green Bay Packers. I was going back and forth in my mind. But after watching Monday Night Football and after watching the Kansas City Chiefs demolish the Baltimore Ravens, I think it's fairly clear who the best team in the NFL is, and that's the the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I don't know why it's come as a surprise to us. I mean, we thought maybe the Ravens were going to, you know, essentially step up this year and take away that mantle from the Chiefs in the first two weeks they have. But last night, head-to-head, man, the Chiefs just made Baltimore look silly, made them look bad, made them look like a juvenile team. I mean, that score was a 38-20 or 36-20 was way closer than the actual the game itself. Now, in regards to just, you know, some of the reasons why the Chiefs are so good, man, it's like Mahomes at the end of the day. The guy is just an animal. He's at a different level. He's trying to separate himself from Lamar Jackson. He's already way better than, you know, Deshaun Watson in, in my eyes. And and truly, I think he's in, a, in an above class than Russell Wilson as well, man. Like, I think the guy is just – he's insane. Like, I don't know how you stop him, right? Um, but I will say one thing about the Baltimore Ravens and their approach last night to playing uh, Patrick Mahomes. They brought a lot of blitzes off the edge. And when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, man, like if you bring blitzes off the edge, he's just going to slide to the side that doesn't have the blitz and chuck it downfield. Um, when you want to blitz Patrick Mahomes, you want to contain him and bring the blitz up the middle through the gaps. I don't know how many times the Baltimore Ravens came off the edges blitzing, and it's just something that's not going to get you far against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, I'm right there with you. It's it's the Kansas City Chiefs, dude. And there's and there's really no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, you know, you have the whole let let Russ cook campaign going up in the the Pacific Northwest, but it's not even close. And they they had their way with Baltimore, and they they scored at ease at times. And like Baltimore, they came out and they they gashed them. They gashed the the Kansas City Chiefs on the ground. Uh, but as soon as, like, uh, you know, they kicked that field goal, which I'm not going to lie, I, in the first quarter when it was, uh, what was it, like fourth and goal or, or some nonsense like that, 
uh, they, they ended up to, they opted to kick a field goal. And I was thinking to myself, this is the most on John Harbaugh thing I've ever seen because he was one of the first guys to really champion analytics over the last couple of years and go for it on fourth down and try to punch the points in, you know, looking at all the numbers and the stats that back going for it compared to just settling for three points and, and you know, putting the, you know, the defense on the field. And it was kind of the most un game ever. Um, I'm not going to put the whole loss on Lamar Jackson. Uh, his receivers were brutal last night. Um, Mark Andrews has to catch that touchdown. Um, uh, what's his name? Hollywood Brown. He had a couple of really crucial drops. I mean, there was a lot of blame to go around. Uh, Wink Martindale, like you said, with, with the blitz packages and blitzing too much, in my opinion. I'm in that school of thought with you. And, and Greg Roman, I think, called a timid game. Uh, the, you know, there really wasn't any up-tempo-ness. There really wasn't anything going on. Lamar Jackson couldn't really get the ball going down the field through the air. It was just, uh, it was just a rough night. Uh, so the, the rest of the league is on notice, dude. I mean, mm-hmm. barring mm-hmm. An, uh, an asteroid hitting Arrowhead Stadium and taking out the entire Kansas City Chiefs, like they, they are at the top of the mountain right now. And, well, and the messed up thing is, is like this defense doesn't isn't at full capacity yet. Like Rashard mm-hmm. Breeland is still suspended for at least one other game, and a couple of people have been dinged up recently. Like if this defense gets full bore, like they just neutered the Baltimore Ravens. The Kansas City Chiefs were a three and a half point underdog, and they neutered Baltimore on their turf. This defense gets all like the whole band back together. G- good luck. That's all I gotta say. Well, listen. Let me bring up the. Uh the Lamar Jackson angle of this, because, listen, he now he's 0-3 against Patrick Mahomes, right? Uh, they always say, you know, once, I get it, twice, might be a coincidence, three times, it's a trend. And I'm getting to this bigger picture about Lamar Jackson, where I buried Deshaun Watson last week, but I think, for me, Lamar Jackson is probably one more bad playoff, you know, appearance away from me, you know, proclaiming he's not that you know, upper echelon quarterback that Patrick Mahomes is. Because for now, we were all putting him in that league with with Patrick Mahomes, but it's seeming to pan out with the numbers that he's not. And, and I'll give you a quick uh, update on the numbers that I saw on TV the other day. Well, I think this morning, actually. You know, he is 0-5 versus the Kansas City Chiefs and playoff teams. He's 21-1 and against everybody else, right? So... He lost that one uh, one game to the Browns last year, but he's 21 and one, and with some spectacular numbers, his quarterback rating is like 120 something. But when he plays the Kansas City Chiefs or playoff teams, and when it really matters and the pressure's on, everything goes south for him. He, lo- he loses those games, and on top of that, his numbers get cut in half. Like his quarterback rating went down like a 68. Like it's it's starting to you starting to see a trend via the numbers that the guy isn't a big time performer when it comes to those pressure pack situations. For sure. And like, I'll give you like two, two fun facts of the pod today. The first one in his press conference, either at the end of the game last night or this morning, uh, when, you know, media kind of had a little quick access to do a follow up. um, He basically came out and said what Kansas City was doing on the defensive side of the football is basically what the Tennessee Titans did in the playoff game. Mm -hmm. Now, that is alarming to me because you think that your coaching staff and yourself would recognize this and adjust the game plan going into this week, being like, Hey, there's tape on us in the playoffs. This is how they come, you know, they went up against us and sacked the box or did whatever. And they really didn't have a game plan for that. And my second fun fact of the pod is, did you know that starting 
from 2018, which I get is pre-Lamar Jackson, that the Baltimore Ravens are 0-9 when trailing into halftime. So they mm. are the definition of a front-running team. And they are the only team in the NFL to not have one victory going into halftime where they're trailing by, you know, just trailing by any any sort of margin. I think the benchmark was 10 points or more. So that means Adam Gase coached teams, New York Giants coached teams, whether that's Pat Shermer or, or whoever before then, like they actually have a victory over the Baltimore Ravens in that one column. Like they, they, they are ahead of them with, you know, coming back, you know, trailing in halftime. Like if the, the, the blueprint to beat this team is just to get up early and take them off their game plan. And well, Baltimore really has to adjust that because their schedule doesn't get any easier. Well, Brendan, a lot of times, and this is, you know, if you watch enough football, you realize this, that if you're a run based team, if your offense is going through the running attack, then that means your quarterback really isn't that isn't that great at passing the ball. I mean, that's in layman's simple terms, right? And essentially what's happening with the Ravens is once they get into those situations that's like two and fourteen or you know, third and ten, when instead they're used to second and seven or third and three, like if they're in those situations, that's when they get out of their offense and that's when they're uncomfortable. And you saw that last night. You saw the Kansas City Chiefs put them in those situations where they had to throw the ball and throw it effectively. And for some reason Lamar Jackson couldn't come through on those on those situations. Yep. Nope, for sure. Absolutely. So they better they better handle their business in the first half or they're they're screwed unless they that all of a sudden evolve into this uh, aerial attack where actually the receivers hold on to the frigging football. But, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the tape's out there. Good luck. Awesome. Well, go ahead with your uh, storyline, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons, Jay. Like, the, I, 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 don't, I don't understand. I, I just – they are – the definition of choke artist. Like you, you would have thought, man, you would have thought that coming out of the, the horrific fashion that they lost to the Dallas Cowboys, that they would have ratcheted a few things up and they would have, you know, handled their business against a granted at the time, a two and O Chicago bear football team. But we all know that the bears are fraudulent. They had Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback and, they couldn't really get anything going on the offensive side of the football. And the defense has been okay at best. And dude, like they come out of halftime, Matt Ryan looks like the complete opposite of the Matt Ryan that we know. I don't even think he had a completion uh, in the second half up until maybe the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. And by that that point, yeah, go ahead. He had, he had eight consecutive incompletions in the fourth quarter that really buried that team essentially. And then he threw that interception and the game. Yep. It's dude, it, it was just it was just absolutely brutal. And I get it, this defense is a turnstile, but the offensive side of the football for the for the Atlanta Falcons should be able to keep up with whatever the defense is hemorrhaging points wise. And like they couldn't get out of their own way, and Russell Gage got hurt. But I mean Nick Foles comes off the bench and it was like one of those ultimate, you know, let me let me crack the beer open. Hey guys, hold my beer real quick, and and just took them up and down the field and you know, the, the Falcons are the first team in NFL history to blow back-to-back 15-point leads and just lose in horrific fashion. And, dude, I don't know how anybody made that plane ride home. Like, if I'm Arthur mm-hmm. Blank, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm canceling the team charter. Or they weren't even they weren't even on the road. They were at home. I'm, I'm yeah, I was like, I was like... <laughs> 
I'm revoking their building passes. Like, you know, like that comment last year when Jay Gruden said in Jay Gruden fashion, well, I'm going to I'm going to show up. And uh, if my badge doesn't work at five o'clock in the morning, I know like I would have just denied access. I would have denied access. I would have had armed security escort these clowns out of the out of the building. These aren't the Atlanta Falcons. They they really did. I, I don't know. I don't know what happens. I don't, I don't know where they go from here. Like, they need to have a change, but Arthur Blank doesn't want to fire anybody right now. But something needs to change because the coaching staff is horrid. The, 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 the blown leads from this season and then the Super Bowl, the, the ghost of Christmas past, is still haunting that organization. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they do. Like, Jay, do they bring in a team psychologist to, like, kind of cure this issue of not being able to seal the goddamn deal. Like, I don't, I don't know where this team goes. Like, what do you think they have to do? Well, listen, let's start with the Falcons themselves, right? So I I don't think it's necessarily a issue on the offensive end, because if you look at the stats, the guys are putting up points and they're putting up yardage and they're putting up touchdowns, right? I think the bigger issue here is that defense just seems to have, horrifically bad spurts uh, in these games now i think that is pinned solely obviously on dan quinn because he is supposed to be a defensive-minded coach right like i understand matt ryan had a pretty bad horrendous fourth quarter but at one point he did get that team in position to be up like 15 points or whatever it was right um and i think dan quinn obviously you've already said this he has to go he has to go immediately like i and I think I'm going to take it one step further. I, I truly think that Arthur Blank is lacking the leadership and the balls here to step in and do something to correct this. Because essentially, you're seeing what's happening in Atlanta being something from a top-down, man. Like, these things don't just happen, you know, over and over again if you don't have the right leadership from the top-down. Like, you think, like, after, I don't know, if Robert Kraft was in the situation, you think Robert Kraft would be able to stomach this and have these guys come back day-to-day? Like, I, I think at some point, you guys are looking at Arthur Blank himself as well. For sure. And, it, you know, I'm going to do like a, a movie analogy here, but there's there's a scene in the movie The Natural where, you know, um, Robert Redford's character, Roy Hobbs, he gets called up and he's on a losing ball club and they're on the middle of a losing streak. And they bring in like a sports psychologist to try to cure the team of the yips and not blowing leads or blowing games anymore. And they just kept losing in horrific fashion. Like, all right. All right, Arthur Blank, I'll play. You don't want to fire. You don't want to fire Dan Quinn right now. All right, let's go over the next couple of games before their bye week. They are in Green Bay. This uh, on a that's a loss. That's that's fine. Whatever. They're, Green Bay right now is the better team. Okay. Uh, the Carolina Panthers at home. That should be a win. The that's Minnesota a win. the Minnesota Vikings the, on the road in Minnesota could go either way, but the defense for the Minnesota Vikings isn't the greatest either. That's going to be a high scoring game. They could win that. The Detroit Lions could win that too. The Carolina Panthers again. And then finally, before their bye week, they have the inept Denver Broncos who may or may not have Drew Locke back. If they lose to Carolina twice and they don't win against Denver and Detroit, I'll give them Minnesota because that could go either way. If they go to that bye week and they lay eggs in those games, Dan's got to go. Like there is no excuse to bring him back uh, November 22nd against the New Orleans Saints. There's no excuse. 
Well, listen, at the end of the day, I, I think he's got to go now. I, I mean, like, I, sure. I, it doesn't matter what's going to happen in the next three, four games. Like, you know, essentially we'll get to the Jets here in a second, but the Jets, you know, there's rumblings out there that, you know, because of their 0-3 start and how bad they've looked, the, the, the owner of the Jets is actually hiring a firm to look at coaching talent, right? So I think the the co- the uh, the ownership in Atlantic is the same exact thing. I don't know why Arthur Blank is, is you know, dragging his feet here. And I think we really, if I'm an Atlanta fan, I'm calling for Arthur Blank to do something here. Yeah, real quick before I move off the storyline, uh, Mike Tanier of uh, now Pro Football Network, but he's a national columnist for, uh, say, Yahoo Sports and the New York Times and whatnot. He wrote the perfect article to sum up the Atlanta Falcons. And the headline, real quick, Atlanta Falcons, most disappointing team in the NFL, most disappointing institution in modern society. Watching a Falcons game is like being a preteen child whose parents recently divorced waiting for dad to come take you fishing for your birthday, getting two phone calls from dad swearing that he's just running a little late, waiting all day on the porch with the tackle box in your hand and uh, and visitors and visions of strippers in your head, swearing through tearful eyes to mom that he'll arrive any minute now when she calls you, uh, calls you in for dinner, finally wow. giving up on you to cry in your mom's room at sunset and running outside when you hear his car pull up at bedtime to find out that he is drunk and just came over to tell you that he never really wanted children. Then he proceeds to run over your dog as he pulls away. That is the Atlanta Falcons in a nutshell, dude. That is the perfect article by Mike Tanier to describe this team. Uh, wow, that's that's a lot to take in, but I think you're right. Yep, yeah. Good luck, Fido. Good luck, Fido. He didn't want any kids. Yes, that's the Atlanta Falcons right there. On that note, Last point on that before I move on, man. And I feel bad for Matt Ryan, man. I feel bad for Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. They have so wasted. much talent. They have amazing talent in Atlanta, man. Like, uh, the guys... The guys are out there battling, and they're battling hard every week because they're up in these games. They're putting points up. It's just they got to put it together for four quarters. So, I don't know, man. This uh, this Monday night, I think you're going to have a high number, you know, uh, on the overnight ratings, the tuning in for that Monday night football game, just because people are going to be like, well, the Falcons going to Falcon again? Let's tune in and find out, you know? <laughs> for sure. That's what I'm going to do. All right. Let's move on to the second storyline of week uh, week three. So earlier in the podcast, I gave you guys my best team out of the 3-0 teams, and now I'm going to give you my worst team out of the 0-3 teams, and we have quite a good selection of 0-3 teams to pick from, right? We got the Atlanta Falcons, we got Denver Broncos, we got the Houston Texans, we got the Minnesota Vikings, we got the Giants, and we got the Jets. And I thought about this quite a bit, and I think I'm going to whittle it down to the two New York teams. Um, I thought about this for, I don't know, about two days now since uh, since Sunday happened, and both teams look like hot garbage. And while I would love nothing more to bury Gettleman today and bury Daniel Jones, I think I'm going to give the award of the worst team in the NFL to the New York fucking Jets. They are as bad as it gets, and they are 0-3 now. They are just coming off of a massive blowout to the Indianapolis Colts. It's three weeks, three blowout losses. And to start it off, man, Sam Darnold. He looks bad. He looks like he's regressed. Um, This week against the Colts, he had three interceptions. Two were pick sixes. Now, if you look at the team itself, the roster is bad. There's a lot of injuries. There's a lot of injuries, right? But I think the biggest issue with the Jets is Adam Gase. Adam Gase is as bad as it gets, man, as head coaches come. I I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I truly can't think of a bad enough coach as Adam Gase. Do you think anybody takes the cake? No. Like, like 
Freddie Kitchens even gets a pass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, Jay, it's just, it's so brutal. And I don't know, I don't know how Mike McCagnin at the time and the Johnson family, you know, the family that runs Johnson and Johnson, convinced themselves to let one phone call with Peyton friggin' Manning decide the future of their franchise with their young franchise quarterback that nobody was really that high on coming out of USC. And you gave it to this guy, the guy that looks like he's, you know, like lost high on bath salts at his opening press conference and then loves to just snort lines of freaking, you know, smelling salts on the sideline. Like, like, like this is the guy that you're going to give the keys of the friggin' franchise to like how, I think the worst part out of all of this is, you know, if it was one thing that they hired Adam Gates because he's brilliant offensive coordinator and he that's what he was sold. Miami. How did and, they hire him? Well, listen, that's just the ineptitude of the New York Jets. When they made this move, I was just laughing. I was like, all right, that's fine. We'll have two more easier wins per, per, per year for the Patriots. But I think the issue is, you know, the play calling is just so so bad the the offense itself is unimaginative there's like you know most head coaches put your players in situations to win i feel like he does the way he does the complete opposite like he's calling shit that he shouldn't be calling for a team that's such a bad roster and such a lack of talent like you can't be calling some of the shit that you're calling bro so i think i feel the worst for sam darnold because listen i wasn't really high on sam darnold coming out out of college um, but I did think he was going to be better than this, but you're starting to see it's taking its toll on him, man. He is regressing. He is not looking good. And if I'm Joe Douglas and, and I'm ending up with the first overall pick, I am cleaning house. I'm getting rid of Sam Darnold for a bunch of draft capital. I'm getting rid of Adam Gase. I am taking Trevor Lawrence, and I'm rebuilding for the future. No doubt. Can anybody tell me with, like, factual ev- evidence what the goddamn offensive scheme is? For, uh, I have no idea. For, for Adam Gase, like, can anybody point to no film and tell me, like, hey, he runs a spread offense. Hey, he's a West Coast guy. He's a he's a ground and pound kind of guy. Like, I, I don't see anything. I see a ball of confusion. They're in the middle of blowouts. And Jay, I wish we had a video camera to record like my like reactions right now. But like, he's looking at the play call sheet. Like, it's gonna just suddenly spring up. And give him the goddamn answer when he's down like 36 points. His quarterback just threw two pick sixes and combined for the last three weeks, they scored 34 points. Where in one game alone, the Seattle Seahawks scored 38. Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how the Johnsons talked themselves into hiring a coach that did absolutely nothing with the Miami Dolphins in his first head coaching stint. Uh, short of that one year where they actually overachieved and went to the wild card round against Pittsburgh and Matt Moore got his head taken off on a quarterback scramble. I, I don't I don't know. This team is an absolute joke. They are the worst team in football. Like at least you know what, Jay, at least the New York Giants, they actually play hard all four quarters. Like they were in it against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They still kind of squeak back against the Chicago Bears. They didn't look that great last week without uh, Saquon Barkley, but at least two out of the three games they played friggin' hard for Joe for Joe Judge. I I can't I can't speak to the same for the New York Jets. And I'm not even a Jets fan. And I'm about to have a fucking ulcer right now. I feel bad. I feel bad for the Jets fans. 
I kind of don't. Fuck them. Ha, they suck. Yeah, <laughs> Plus, they're in the division with the Patriots, so fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey the, you know, you reap what you sow. That's all I got to say. You reap what you friggin' sow. All right, let's move on to your uh, storyline, and then after that, let's get Josh up in this uh, conversation. Speaking of bad football teams, we're going to talk about a division as a whole and how bad they are in the entire NFL, and that is the greatest division of all time, known as the, uh, the NFC East. And by greatest, that's a very loose term. Um, the Washington football team, uh, they are leading the division at one and two. Uh, they, I, I don't, I don't know how Dwayne Haskins has really, you know, regressed compared to how he played the first week against the Philadelphia Eagles. The, the Eagles are, what are they? They're Oh, two and one. They had the tie against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they couldn't even pull off a win against the Bengals. Uh, Carson Wentz looks like he's taken five steps back and I'm the biggest Carson Wentz apologist in the grand scheme of things thinking he hasn't reached his full potential you know, he's, you know, it's not like he's gotten a bunch of soft tissue injuries. Like, you know, Jay, we were talking about this offline and, you know, you were telling me what you were seeing from him and he looks skittish. He's got happy feet. He's not hitting open people. When people are wide open, he makes a throw. It's either wide, wide of the player or it's coming back as an interception. He just, he looks bad. I think the stat sheet will show that like he had a decent day, but he really got bailed out by that game time touchdown that he dived headfirst in the end zone for. Uh, but they really, they really should have handled their business against the the, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are going to Cowboy. Uh, they were in that game for the most part, and a couple of costly penalties uh, caused the Seattle Seahawks to get a second chance at going for two. And then Dak Prescott, you know, he escapes a sack and throws in a triple coverage. When If he throws a, the, an incomplete pass out of bounds to stop the clock, they'll still have one more shot to take a, to drop another play to go in the end zone. Like, this – this division's just bad, man. Like I don't, I don't know how people can talk themselves into like the Eagles are going to be the playoff team coming out of here, or that like the the Dallas Cowboys are going to run away with this division. Right now, on paper, the New York Giants at 0-3 are a half game out of a division lead when they don't have Saquon Barkley. They just signed Devonta Freeman, who hasn't been able to stay healthy the last couple of years, and really they don't have any you know matchup nightmare skill position players on that roster right now. I, 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 I don't know. This is the worst division in all of football. Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you think is the worst team in the NFC East? The worst? Oh God. Like I think right it's the Giants. Now, I think I, it's the Giants. It might be the Giants, but like, it's kind of close right now, dude. Like the saving grace for the Washington football team is you have a bunch of first-rounders on that defensive side of the football that are playing hard. Terry McLaurin, despite quarterback play from Dwayne Haskins, is still getting his. And they, they're coming up with different ways to get skill position players to football. It's just, you know, Dwayne Haskins, like, I came into the season thinking he was going to have a breakout year, right? He was dropping the weight. He, he seemed more committed. His attitude changed. And, I mean, Jay, he had two costly turnover interceptions and a fumble. That basically caused the goddamn game. Like, I, I, Ron Rivera, he came out, you showed me this, came out in a press conference and basically drew the line in the sand mm -hmm. and said, yeah. if Dwayne Haskins does not improve and improve quickly on his development and his performance and everything else, he is going to pull the plug. And he, right now, he has free reign from Dan Snyder, regardless of the fact that Dwayne Haskins is his son's best friend from high school. 
uh, Ron Rivera is going to do what Ron Rivera thinks is best for the football team and not what uh, Dan Snyder is going to feel with certain feelings of his family. Yeah, listen, I, I think that Dwayne Haskins, or the Dwayne Train as I like to call him, he is probably one bad half away from being benched. Um, Ron Rivera has some balls. He's not going to stand around for his defense playing lights out. Or not lights out, but they're playing hard. I mean, they're, they're there. They're making some plays. There's some effort, but I think Dwayne Train is really laying them down. But I think if I had to give the superlative of the worst team in the NFC, I think I'm going to give it to the Giants because I had them as a toss-up between the Jets and the Giants for being the worst team. And the only reason why I gave it to the Jets is because I think that Adam Gase is a much, much worse curse than Joe Judge. But if you look at the statistical numbers, it's not that good for the Giants either, man. Like total offense at 31st, scoring offense at 31st, rushing their last, Third down defense, their last giveaways, their second. I mean, you know, Daniel Jones, I think he's not a good quarterback. And I had my issues coming with him out of college, but the numbers are panning out that he's like Jameis Winston 2.0 out here. I think I saw a stat that over the last, I think, year and a half, the, uh, the over the last two years, the the only person that has had more um, turnovers is is than James Winston is, is Daniel Jones from the beginning of last year, so a year and a half. So it's just it's just been not good. I, I think the Giants are probably the worst out of the division, and the fact that this the conference, I'm sorry, this division gets a playoff spot is a travesty. Yeah, it, this is this is the ineptitude, man. This is this is the ineptitude. And real quick on the Cowboys, and then we'll get we'll get Josh on here, like. Have you noticed really any different coaching style change from Mike McCarthy to Jason Garrett? Because Mike McCarthy right now no, is coaching like Jason Garrett 2.0. Like I don't, I don't understand another instance of conning ownership into thinking that you've changed your ways and you're gonna bring in analytics. It, that was the worst two-minute drill I've ever seen for them to try to come back against the Seattle Seahawks. Like what was it like? back-to-back little itty-bitty screen passes or, or halfback draws, and they, there was no urgency to get up to the line of scrimmage. This whole division's a goddamn joke, man. It is mm-hmm. friggin' brutal. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to look forward to week four of the NFL season? I am. I am. It's, awesome. It's going to be joy. It's going to be a joygasm, let me tell you. Awesome. <laughs> Well, we're going to pick four games uh, out of the week four slate. Um, we're going to pick Pittsburgh versus Tennessee if they play. We're going to pick New England versus KC. Spoiler alert, I might be choosing the Patriots. <laughs> oh. Philadelphia versus San Fran. And then Atlanta versus Green Bay. So let's start with Pittsburgh versus Tennessee. Interesting matchup here, good sir. And I, I started looking at both Pittsburgh and Tennessee um, you know, last night. And I think I, I see that both teams have potential. Both teams are playing at a high clip. Unfortunately, I can't make a, a decision on if they're a good team or not because the competition they've played against is pretty brutal. Um, I think we mentioned earlier on Pittsburgh is, is 3-0 right now. However, they've played against 0-9 in the three teams they've played. I mean, it's the competition is just brutal. And then same thing. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I was just going to follow, follow up with that real quick, being like, yeah, like the, you know, we really don't have the ultimate litmus test of this Steelers defense because of, you know, the, the low bar of competition that they face so far. 
Right, and then same thing with the Tennessee Titans, man. Listen, they're also three and zero. Unfortunately, they've played Denver, who's zero and three, Jacksonville, who's one and two, and Minnesota, who's zero and three. So it's kind of hard to figure out if these teams are good. So I think this week, if they do end up playing, and if COVID doesn't take its task on uh, on the game itself, I think we'll really understand what each team is made out of. Now on the on the Pittsburgh side, man, that defense, that defense is is all world, man. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt because they play with some against some pretty bad uh, quarterbacks. But if they are legit, then they're going to cause some serious problems for Ryan Tannehill. Furthermore, that offense looks like Big Ben is back. Looks like he's at a good clip. I mean, looks like he's in sync with his wide receivers. Um, the running game is good. Um, the, the wide receiver, the wide receiver core for the uh, for the Steelers, man, it's it's something to to keep an eye on. It's probably the best wide receiver core um, in the NFL right now. They're they're producing at an all time level, man. Um, so I, I absolutely love uh, Pittsburgh, um, Tennessee. I think they're gonna have some issues against Pittsburgh's defense. Give me Pittsburgh, twenty four, probably twenty one. Nice, nice. Uh, great pick. Uh, so fun fact, I was on the uh, official, um, you know, betting app of the Pro Football Radio podcast. Just DraftKings doesn't know it, but it's the DraftKings Sportsbook. And I believe, Jay, that they actually took this game off the board because Ooh. I've refreshed it. I think there's just so much in the air right now that they actually closed the uh, the bets out. Uh, for this game at the moment. But, I mean, real quick, uh, on the Tennessee side, side of things, um, A.J. Brown looks like he would miss this game if they are able to play. Uh, so I expect a, another good showing from Jonu Smith, the tight end, who's more of an athletic freak. He can also play the wide receiver. He can play inside the slot. He's He is a, 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 a you know a potential top 10 tight end in the NFL if the stars align correctly. Derrick Henry looked like he picked up where he left off. Um, I think if the Titans are going to have a chance against this all-world defense, they're going to have to pound the rock and they're going to have to grind this defense down with uh, with Derrick Henry. And, you know, don't sleep on Ryan Tannehill. He, he kind of picked up where he left off last year, even in the AFC Championship game. Uh, he's been super efficient in the passing game. Uh, he's been unstoppable in the red zone uh, with the touchdowns that they've been putting up. Um, if we could bet this game, I kind of, I kind of like Tennessee in this. I think the stars are going to just kind of align perfectly with the game plan with Derrick Henry. Uh, that's no shade against the Steelers, uh, the Steelers offense. Uh, they, they have probably one of the top wide receiver cores in the, in the NFL, even though Jay, I can't remember, did Deontay Johnson he got go hurt. out? He did. Yep. He did get dinged up, right? He didn't so come he, back. Uh, he, he came back. Okay. So he did, no, he he did not have, come back. He did not. Okay. So what was it? A concussion? I think it was a concussion, right? I forget what it was, but that was a big loss, man. I think Deontay Johnson is one of the most underrated wide receivers in the NFL. And I know this might be a, a negative comparison, but he reminds me of Antonio Brown, man. The short, stout wide receiver that's quick and shifty. That's that's what uh, Antonio Brown was, and that's what Johnson is. Yeah. No, I can see the comparisons, too. Uh, just, you know, no shade. Uh, I, I really like Tennessee here at home. I think it's a good spot if they're able to play. Um, you have to figure, Jay, if you had to guess the line, what would you put it at? Like three? Yeah, it's going to be like three, three and a half, four max. Yeah. Yeah, I can, set, I can see that. I, give me Tennessee. If it's at three, and points-wise, give me, I'd bet Tennessee to cover as well, too, if it was around three points. Yeah. Listen, uh, next game we're going to be picking is going to be New England Patriots versus Kansas City Chiefs, and I think this is probably the best game of the of the weekend, right? Oh, for I mean, sure. You have the, there. I mean, you've got you got some pretty crap games for the most part. 
I mean, even like Monday night football joke, Sunday night Eagles 49ers. Okay. We don't even know if Nick Mullins is going to play. That's, that's really it. Like for a week four slate, there really isn't that many decent games. We refuse on this podcast to talk about Thursday night football. So it really really is. uh, It it really is the, the Pats chiefs in in Arrowhead, correct? Yeah, they're mm-hmm. on the road in Arrowhead. Yep, in Arrowhead. With, so, with listen. Speeding capacity, too. I was telling you last night, I am one win away from becoming an obnoxious New England we're going to the Super Bowl fan again. <laughs> uh, here we go. I, I am loving what I'm seeing out of the Patriots. I We won this past week against the Raiders, and we we dominated that game on the running on the running uh running side of things. Now, I think our strongest asset uh, is our offensive line game, and I think the reason why I'm leaning New England towards uh, over the Kansas City Chiefs is the fact that the offensive line is going to be able to run the ball. We're going to be able to take uh, control of the time of possession, and Patrick Mahomes is going to sit on the sideline. I think if we have a chance of winning in, in Arrowhead, it's going to have to mirror that 2018 game plan that we had when we went in there for the AFC Championship game. Now, in regards to running the ball, we don't just run it with the, the running backs. Cam Moon also will do some design runs um, and essentially uh, uh, rack up the yardage. So I think if we get into a shootout with the Kansas City Chiefs, we'll lose. But if we can keep it close in the 20s, I give the Patriots a really good chance of winning this game. Now, we've already talked about Kansas City Chiefs and how good they are. I think the key here is you're going to have to blitz up the middle, up the A-gaps, for uh, and make sure Patrick Mahomes doesn't get outside the containment. Because if he gets outside contain and you're blitzing, it's game over. He's going to throw it downfield. It's a touchdown. You've lost the game. Now, the other bigger key is you're going to have to essentially bracket Tyreek Hill, which we've always done. We've always bracketed Tyreek Hill, and I've always asked Stephon Gilmore to take Sammy Watkins. The only other issue left there is quite, uh, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Travis Kelsey. How do you how do you stop those two guys? So I think, essentially, what you're going to see, Bill Belichick is going to come out and do what he always does, bracket Tyreek Hill, make sure he doesn't go off. And if you look at Tyreek Hill's numbers uh, against the Patriots, they're not really that great. And then you're going to have to ask Stephon Gilmore to step up and take Sammy Watkins. So I, I I am gonna go on a little bit of a limb here, Mr. Depuma Silva. I think I'm gonna take the Patriots to win this game, probably like 31-24, man. <laughs> um, laugh it up. I like I like where your head's at. I mean, they are seven point dogs on the road in Arrowhead. I just I don't know, man. Like, from what I saw with this defense, uh, what they did and how they neutered uh, the the Baltimore Ravens last night, uh, I mean, let's be honest. This offense is really just Cam Newton, maybe Rex Burkhead, like he he showed up against the Las Vegas Raiders uh, on Sunday, but he really wasn't much of a factor in Seattle. He caught caught a few uh, passes out of the backfield, but, I mean – Nobody on this offensive side of the football short of Cam really scares you. Damien Harris may be coming back. He is eligible to come off a short-term IR this week, but I haven't seen any reports indicating that. Um, And the other thing, too, is there's been a lot of opt-outs on this defense. If they were at full capacity, I I would give them a puncher's chance, or maybe a little bit more of a puncher's chance, because I think on any given Sunday they would have a puncher's chance against Kansas City. But from what I saw against Baltimore here – 
Um, I think I think Baltimore, I think the uh, the Chiefs are going to roll in this game. I think they're going to cover. Um, it's I, I don't I don't know, man. I don't really see the the amount of success on the ground that the Cam Newton and company are going to have. And with Steve Spagnuolo's defense, even at you know a quarter of the capacity right now, I still think it's one of the the better defenses in the NFL right now for sure. Uh, and I think they're going to pick up where they left off uh, in in Baltimore. So I think they're I think they're going to roll against the uh, the Pats for this game. Well, we talked about this in the A block, and essentially what the Kansas City Chiefs do to running teams is they make them get out of their game plan. Our game plan of going is going to be able to, is going to be to run the ball as many times as possible, control time of possession. But when you put that offensive pressure, when you feel that offensive pressure from Kansas City and they're up 21 points, then you naturally get out of your offense, right? So just like the Ravens got out of their offense, there will be a point in time in the third or fourth quarter that the Patriots have to go out of their offense. And that's when Cam Noon is going to have to become Cam Noon that we saw in Seattle. Can he duplicate that? I mean, this is going to be the biggest limit test for the Patriots, I think, all year. Uh, essentially, you're going to realize who the Patriots are. I think that he will be able to duplicate that passing uh, attack that he had up in Seattle. And I think that's why I'm taking them to win. But again... It's it's a tall order, especially in in Arrowhead. So we'll see how it pans out, man. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to be a fun game to watch, and of course it's at 4:25. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's on CBS, and I may or may not be able to watch that while I'm at work. You will be able to. It's on CBS, yeah. It's, Thank- I think it's the uh, it's like the game of the week for CBS. Thank God. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the Philadelphia versus San Francisco game. Interesting matchup here. Let me start with San Francisco because it'll be the easier one to kind of get through. They have so many injuries. It's just uh, mind-boggling that they're still, you know, able to perform at a high level. But they were able to make very quick, um, you know, mince meat out of the Giants on Sunday. I think the final score was like 36-9. And I simply got to say this. Kyle Shanahan is so fucking good, man. He he is so underrated. He is so good. Essentially, he got 36 points and a massive offensive performance from backups and C.J. Mons. Let that sink in. Like, I do understand the Giants aren't the best of teams, and I understand it was going to be a cakewalk, but the level of dominance they showed coming off a week where they got, you know, just throttled with injuries against the Jets, they couldn't fly back home. They had to go to the Greenbriars, stay on the East Coast, all kinds of airplane issues getting hit on the tarmac, all kinds of MRI truck issues, and they're still able to go out there and perform that highly just speaks to the organizational structure that uh, San Francisco 49ers have. And on the other side, the Philadelphia Eagles. What are they going to do with Carson Wentz? I mean, that is the question that I am sure is being asked a million times over on the Philadelphia Airways. I'm sure a lot of people are, are you know, yelling for him to be benched. And I think, I think if Jalen Hurts was going to show something in practice, I think he would have been out there already. I think the fact that you haven't seen Jalen Hurts on the field probably speaks to the fact that he isn't ready. And, and, and who can blame him? I mean, the, the guy's a rookie. He's only three games in, so I don't think it's time for it's time for Jalen Hurts just yet. However, the amount of the performance that Carson Wentz is putting on tape, it, it, it's pretty bad, man. Like, I mean, the turnovers are outrageous. The guy is a shell of who he was a couple of years ago when he was making the MVP run, and he just he just doesn't look good. Simply foot. I mean, the guy can't the, the guy can't complete a pass at some points during the game. I think the bigger issue here is I think the coaching staff has lost um, confidence in in uh, Carson Wentz as well, and you can see that in overtime 
they essentially went for the tie and they said, you know what, we're okay with getting a tie. We're not going to try to win this game because we have absolutely no trust in our quarterback. So I think that's something to monitor as well. Truthfully, this game could be a toss-up, but with the way San Francisco's playing, even with backups, man, I'm going to go with San Francisco big. Probably like a 14-point win. Right. Eh, the, the 49ers, I think they're favored by seven points at home. Um, I mean, we saw the Brandon Ayuk breakout game. Uh, he got a couple of carries out of the backfield, scored on an end-around 19-yard touchdown. And, I mean, you know, I said this in the last episode – that Kyle Shanahan loves himself some Nick Mullins. I mean, there were teams calling in the offseason this uh, this year and last year asking if he was available in trade, and the 49ers said no. So they know what they have in Nick Mullins. They have a more than capable backup quarterback and uh, definitely understands the system here. Um, my question, I'm going to post to you about the Eagles. Uh, how much do you think – you know, Frank Reich was on that coaching staff as the offensive coordinator in in 2000, what was it, 2017, 2018, when they made the MVP run and the, the Eagles ended up winning the, the Super Bowl that year. It, ever since then, Wentz has not looked the same, and it really reared its ugly head the first couple of games this year. Uh, the, first seat, the first game, I'll give kind of a pass because Lane Johnson wasn't there and Miles Sanders wasn't playing as well, too. And they went up against, you know, an all-pro, you know, all-world front four and front seven of the Washington football team. But, I mean, they there really wasn't any excuse to be manhandled by the Cincinnati Bengals last week. Uh, how much of that would you put on maybe, the, like, the coaching staff is not just getting the best out of Carson Wentz and putting him in the spots to succeed? Because the drop-off from when Frank Reich left to now is insane. Listen, I, I, I've always said that at the end of the day, players go out there and execute. Obviously, the coaching staff has a big, big hand in the game plan. But at the end of the day, the players do go out there and execute the game plan. Now, I don't know if the game plan is absolute trash. Obviously, we're not in those meetings during the week. But I can't see whatever they're throwing out there, he's not executing properly. So it goes hand in hand. If the coaching staff isn't really playing to his strengths, then shame on them. But if the, the coaching staff is putting in a solid game plan, but Carson Wentz is going out there and just not playing well, and that's what I'm going to lean towards, I think he's just not he's just not playing the game plan as well as he should be. I, I don't know if it's a an issue with just his confidence level. I don't know if it's an issue with just his chemistry with his uh, with his teammates. But I I don't see that guy that I saw from a couple of years ago, even though he had Frank Wright a couple of years ago. But I, I don't. I'm not gonna go ahead and put this solely on the coaching staff because this coaching staff did get you to the Super Bowl. This coaching staff had the balls to go with Nick Foles and call some of the craziest plays possible and put him in a position to win. So I think I think this is more on Carson Wentz than it is on the coaching staff. Uh, I'd say a little bit of both. I mean, let's not sound. Let's not make it sound like uh, they they just decided to bench Wentz in the Super Bowl run. He blew his knee out. But there were times in this game where it seemed like. Uh, Doug Peterson was getting a little bit too cute with the play calling. Like, you know, Miles Sanders was having his way on the ground in this game, and they, they kind of went away from that. Uh, but all this long story short, I kind of like – I like the Eagles to bounce back here. Uh, the secondary for the 49ers, it's still – even with Witherspoon back there, it doesn't, it doesn't really scare you that much. Uh, Richard Sherman is still going to miss this game. Uh, I kind of like the offensive weapons a little bit more for the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe we'll get an Alshon Jeffrey sighting. Who knows? Uh, give me the Eagles. Uh, give me the Eagles to win. Definitely think they're going to cover the seven points. Awesome. Cool. All right. Final game of the um, 
the week four slate that we're going to pick is Atlanta versus Green Bay. We, we've we chronicled our feelings about Atlanta in the, in the A block. Um, you guys can go back and listen to it. We went in fairly hard on them, so we're going to blow by this. Um, but the Packers, listen, they're good. Uh, I think I think at this point you've got to give it to them. Um, they beat the Saints. Uh, they beat the, the Lions. Uh, the Lions just had a great win against the Arizona Cardinals, and they beat up on a fairly bad Minnesota team. But I think Aaron Rodgers is playing at – um, I think probably his best um, year um, since his Super Bowl run. I mean, I think this is the best Aaron Rodgers we've seen in probably like five, six years. So I think the guy is playing at a great level. I think they're getting great production from Aaron uh, Aaron Jones. Um, he's running the ball well. Devonta Adams didn't play this past weekend. So just imagine what happens when he gets back in. Um, but it looks like Alan Lazard um, had some chemistry with him last week that's kind of picked up. And they kind of had a great uh, connection on Sunday night. So I think this is going to be one of those games where Atlanta is going to probably go up by 25 points. And the Packers are going to have them right where they want to. Give me Packers like 35-28. <laughs> oh, for sure. I think the Packers are going to roll in this game. Uh, I, 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 There's nothing else to say, Jay. The, the, the Falcons just can't get out of their own goddamn way here. And, you know, maybe Devontae Adams comes back. Who Who knows? You know, the hamstring issue, soft tissue injuries are such a pain in the ass. I mean, he might be able to come back this week. It might be a, a couple of weeks. I mean, who knows? But for if and if I if I'm going to say this real quick, too, if I heard another stat of, hey, Aaron Rodgers has not thrown to a first round draft pick. And, you know, since X, Y, Z, the last one was Mercedes Lewis and he wasn't even on the team back then. I mean, you know what? I, I really don't care what round you were drafted in. Alan Lazard looked like, uh, you know, he belonged in this offense. I think he had like 130 yards receiving and in, in, in a touchdown or two. You know, Aaron Jones is almost a cheat code in the backfield. If the the only thing that worries me is the defensive side of the football uh, for the for uh, for the the Green Bay Packers rather. Uh, they still have issues stopping the run. You know, if this is going to be a spot where Todd Gurley kind of looks like the Todd father of old, maybe this is it. You team that up with Brian Hill. But, I mean, according to DraftKings right now, the, the spread is seven and a half. Give me the Green Bay Packers laying seven and a half points. I, I think this is going to be another embarrassment uh, for the Falcons. And this time it's going to be on national television. I think it's in, in their heads so much right now that I, I think they're just going to, you know, they can't help themselves, but like, and not get out of the way of the losing freight train. Yeah. Let's not have, um, I agree with you. It's going to be green Bay fairly easily. So let's, uh, let's uh, end this, uh, this podcast, uh, quite a bit, quite an adventurous night, right? Puma. Um, yeah, but to say the just, least, just to give you guys an update on our guest for today. Um, Josh couldn't get online because of some, some uh, technical difficulties so we're gonna try to shoot for next week for him to get on so i uh, didn't want you guys thinking he flaked out and he wanted to let you guys know he didn't flake out either he just is having some technical difficulties as we all do so we'll try to get him on as soon as possible and with that i'm going to give it to puma to plug it up yep let's get the hell out of here on that note uh you can find this episode and previous episodes of the podcast uh, uh under Pro Football Radio or Pro Football Radio Podcast, depending on what platform. We are available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Pro Football Radio Podcast, Twitter, at PFR Podcast. I'm on the Twitter machine, Brando underscore Puma. Jay Chima is at Jay Chima. Like, subscribe, download, 
Uh, follow us on uh, social media. Be sure to hit us up. We'll be. Uh, I, I don't. I'm refusing to watch Thursday night football, so don't even bother trying to to at me or slide in the DMs to talk about the game because I'm not watching it. I will find something else on television to watch uh, besides that hot garbage. But other than that, you want to talk to Slates? Uh, you want to talk some a little sports betting? Hit us up, and we'll be sure to let you know our picks for the other games as well too. Awesome. Well, listen, that concludes the podcast for this week. We'll talk to you guys next week. Via Condio.